Thank you, Jordan, for reading our scripture. I told Jordan this just a moment ago. I commented on his bow tie. I told him that I was in the store the other day, and I picked up a bow tie. And I don't wear bow ties, but I know some of our young folks wear them, and they look sharp. But the lady came over and started talking to me about the bow tie, and she says, it's really easy to tie. She said, you just practice on your leg. And so she straps it around her leg and ties a bow. And I said, look, if I wore that, I'd look like Howdy Doody. <laughs> now, Jordan and Jordan, they can wear bow ties. Dan and Dusty and some of the other guys, but me, I don't think I could pull it off. But they look sharp. Tonight we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to be looking at verses 10 through 12. Appreciate so much your presence. It's good to have Jared's folks with us tonight. We're thankful for them, and we appreciate them loaning us Jared, and I'm not so sure they're going to get him back, but we're very thankful to have Jared with us, and I know they're proud of him, and we're proud of him, and we feel like we've been blessed by his presence, and we pray that we'll have long and fruitful lives together in service to the Lord in this community. We're going to be looking, as I mentioned a moment ago, in Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to be talking tonight about suffering. And really, we're going to be focusing on suffering for the sake of righteousness. I want to begin tonight by asking this question. As a citizen in this country, did you ever think that we would be living in a time when we might be physically assaulted for our faith? Did you ever think that we might be living in an era when we might be gunned down because of our faith in Christ Jesus? There is an interesting article that appeared in the New York Post, and the title of this article reads, Oregon Gunmen Singled Out Christians During Rampage. It was published October the 1st of this year, and it says a gunman singled out Christians telling them they would see God in one second during a rampage at an Oregon college Thursday that left at least nine innocent people dead and several more wounded. He started asking people one by one what their religion was. Are you a Christian? He, he would ask them. And if you're a Christian, stand up. And they would stand up and he said, good. Because you're a Christian, you're going to see God in just about one second. And then he shot and killed them. And that was reported by Stacy Bolin, whose daughter was wounded on that campus. I read that to simply reinforce the fact or enforce the fact that we are living in difficult times. We are living in a day and time that I never dreamed of as a citizen in this country. I never imagined that because of the name of Christ, I might be physically assaulted or put to death. But such is the time in which we now live. 
And so tonight we want to take a look at what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 through 12, as he lays a foundation for those who would be followers or disciples of his. And as I look at Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 through 12, one of the things that stands out to me is the fact that Jesus was very transparent in his discussion of suffering for the sake of righteousness. As a matter of fact, the Lord didn't try to mislead anyone. In John chapter 15, verse 20, Jesus said, If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. And so in light of that, listen to what he said in what is commonly referred to as one of the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Tonight we begin by focusing on the reason why people are persecuted in this context. And the reason Jesus sums up for us in a very concise way. He said, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Tonight, we are under attack because of the sake of righteousness, for right doing. And there are two things that come to mind as I think about the reasoning process as to why we are being persecuted or why we are under attack. First of all, I would submit to you that we are being persecuted, we are under attack because of the criterion of Jesus. When I say that, what I'm referring to is that there is this inevitable clash that exists as we speak. That clash is between the standard of the Word versus the standards of the world. In short, the world doesn't like us because of our belief in God, Christ, the Bible, the church. We might sum it up by simply saying, the world doesn't like us for the sake of righteousness. And so, there is this conflict. It's not something that's new, but it is something that we as Christians today, tonight, are going to have to be prepared for. We're going to have to brace ourselves for the difficulties that we may face, that we may encounter because of our faith in the Lord. Now you think about what the Bible teaches. And what the Bible teaches is in opposition to the world, to the tenets of the world, to the thinking of the world. 
The psalmist in Psalm 119, 104 said, Through your precepts I get understanding. And then he said, As a result of that, therefore I hate every false way. So as children of God, we understand that there is a standard. That standard is the Word of God. In Psalm 119, 105, the psalmist said, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my pathway. The world is in opposition to our belief system, to what we think, to how we act, to how we live, to what we say. It is an inevitable conflict. And so we are going to be persecuted for this criterion that is set forth by Jesus, that is his word. You see, the Lord said in John 12, verse 48, He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my word hath one that judgeth him. He said, The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. I believe that there is a divine standard by which we're to live. And ultimately, I believe that what this standard teaches is that one day we'll all be held accountable for how we live and conduct ourselves in this life. And Jesus said the standard by which we're going to be judged is His divine Word. Paul said in Romans chapter 2, in verse 2, that the judgment of God is according to truth. Now somebody might ask the question, what then is truth? Well, the psalmist said in Psalm 119, 160, that all of God's righteous commandments are truth. Jesus said in John 17, 17, Sanctify them in truth, your word is truth. So God's word is truth. Now, as a child of God, as somebody who believes in the Bible, I understand that we live in a country that allows us the freedom to make choices in this, in this country. We live in a world in which we have the prerogative to choose to follow God or to reject Him. There are a lot of folks that have chosen to identify with the world, to reject the teaching of God. And then there are those of us that are striving to the best of our ability to live a Christian life. Those on the left will sometimes view us as intolerant because we maintain that there is a criterion, a standard that we're to follow. And so they view us as intolerant. It's interesting to me that they are intolerant of the fact that they want us to be tolerant. And so when we stand up and speak out about moral issues, we come under attack. Now somebody says, I have the right to live any way I please. I can do whatever I want to do. If I want to live this way, then that's my prerogative. My response is, knock yourself out. If that's what you want to do. If you want to live as the world lives and you want to live under that system, that's your prerogative. But you need to understand, there's a standard. That standard is imposed on all of us, whether we like it or not. That standard is the Word of God. And so, some of the hot buttons that we're dealing with in our culture today, same-sex marriage, is just one. 
But when we stand up and say, look, this is what the Bible teaches, that is going to bring immediate conflict from a lot of folks. I mentioned this in class the other day. The lady in Kentucky that would not issue a marriage license because she did not believe in same-sex marriage and she believed that that would be a violation of her conscience. And I understand that and I appreciate that. And in no way would I endorse everything that she says or believes. I don't even know the lady. But on that point, I admire what she did. I think she was right in the fact that she said she didn't believe in that. But wonder what the media would have said, wonder what the political leaders of our country would have said had she been a Muslim. Would they have thrown her under the bus like they did? I'll let you answer that. That goes to show you where we are in this country. And by the way, I would hope and pray that we're not so naive as to think that we can just allow people who are followers of the teaching of Islam to come in here to build their mosque and to continue to grow and to populate in our society. I hope that we don't have the idea that they're just going to come over here and live peaceably with us over a period of time. Because you see, the standard that they're following is in conflict to the standard that we follow. The teaching of the Quran is in opposition to the teaching of the Word of God. Now, does that mean that every Muslim is a terrorist? No. I have no doubt that there are good, peaceable, loving Muslim people. But if they follow the teaching of the Quran, that teaching will trump our Constitution. It will trump the law of God in this country. So we need to be mindful of that. Paul said, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. He applied that to the church at Corinth. It's true in the world as well. Just let them come over here and begin to, to grow and to populate in our society and see what kind of problems we have. There is a second reason why I believe we're going to be persecuted. First, because of the criterion of Jesus. Secondly, because of our connection to Jesus. Now, this isn't anything new. You can go back to the first century and you'll find that the apostles were under fire. Those who, follow, who followed New Testament Christianity were under fire because of their connection to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus had told them in John 15, verse 20, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you. They knew that on the front end. You remember in Acts chapter 4, after Peter and John had healed a lame man that had been lying at the temple, sitting at the temple in Jerusalem, back in chapter 3? They were literally called on the carpet by the Sanhedrin council. And they wanted to know, by what power, what authority have you done this? Well, they acknowledged that Jesus of Nazareth was the source of the healing of this man. And so in verse 13, the Bible says that they took knowledge that Peter and John had been with Jesus. There's the connection. Now, as a result of that, do you know what they did? They charged them. 
They said, you're not to speak nor teach in the name of Jesus. And you know what these guys said? We cannot but speak the things we've seen and heard. And then, if you look at the context, you'll find that they went back and rehearsed with the other apostles, the other disciples, the events that had transpired, and they prayed to God. And you know what they prayed for? Boldness. And Luke says in Acts chapter 4, that they preached the word with boldness. You know what we need in our society today? We need holy boldness. That is, we need people just like you and me who will stand up and say, look, this is what the Bible teaches. And we do so because of our relationship with Jesus. Over in chapter 5, the apostles, again, under fire, the high priest, the chief priest, the elders, again, on them because of their relationship to Jesus. And Luke tells us in chapter 5, they were beaten. And as a result of their beating, they rejoiced because they had been counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. Did that negate their efforts for his cause? Did they close up shop and go back home? Did they say, you know what, we're not, we're not in this thing any longer. No, the Bible says that daily in the temple and from house to house they cease not to preach Jesus as the Christ. That is, publicly and privately they continued preaching and teaching the name of Christ. As we say, come what may. Here's what Paul said. I think Paul knew a lot about suffering. Paul said, all that will live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. So we might ask the question, are we ready to suffer? Because it's coming. Now I know that there are some of us that we've, we've been the object of verbal taunts. There have been some that have made fun of us have accused us of being cultish, narrow-minded, old-fashioned, whatever. I had a friend of mine years ago that was distributing tracks around Vanderbilt Stadium in Nashville. And he said on one occasion someone spat on him. You know, we can take that. But you think about somebody executing you because of your faith in Christ. It's easy to talk about this stuff in theory. It's a lot different to talk about it in the real world. So, what about the reasons for persecution? There's a second thing I want to call attention to, and that is remembering those who were persecuted. I want you to listen to what Jesus said in verse 12. He said, Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now if you look at verse 11, listen to what Jesus said. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. 
Note the emphasis on you. Jesus could just as easily have been saying that to us in the 21st century. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. When we suffer for the sake of righteousness, what we need to understand is that puts us in good company, doesn't it? Why? Because Jesus said, For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. If you go back and you read about the prophets of God, and by the way, we talk about preachers today who are popular and in demand and everybody loves them. Look, it's great to be loved. And everyone wants to be appreciated. I get that. But if you go back and you look at the prophets of God in the Old Testament era, I can't think of any of the prophets of the Old Testament era who were, quote, unquote, in their day and time, popular with the masses. They were hated and despised and ridiculed and imprisoned and put to death. And why was that? Because of their love for God and their acknowledgement of His truth. Why, Amaziah the priest tried to run Amos out of town. He didn't want to hear God's word. And there are people like that today. They don't want to hear what God has to say. And yet, if God is going to have a voice in this country, then we as his people must do what? Speak up and speak out. There's a saying that is true. All that is necessary for evil to triumph is for good people to do absolutely nothing. And it may be the case that for far too long we've sat back and done nothing and said nothing. And as a result, we're paying a heavy price. Now, what about some of those prophets of old? Let me just cite for you a couple. And there are a lot of great prophets of God that stood under a lot of duress. For example, Elijah the prophet. Do you remember him in 1 Kings chapter 18? He had a showdown with the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. He stood victorious on that occasion. And after that great victory, over in chapter 19, word gets back to King Ahab's wife, Jezebel. And Jezebel sends word to Elijah the prophet. And you know what? Do you know what the message was? I'm going to do to you just what you did to the prophets of Baal. In other words, I'll have your head. Elijah fled in despondency and despair. As a matter of fact, was extremely down. Jezebel wanted, wanted to do him in. Micaiah, over in 1 Kings chapter 22, another faithful prophet of God, one who would only speak what God had said, was hated by the king. And then I think about those three Hebrew fellows by the name of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You remember that story, don't you? 
King Nebuchadnezzar built a golden image 90 feet high, 9 feet wide, commanded everybody to bow and worship this golden image that had been erected. Well, guess what? There were three fellows that were of the Jewish religion, and they wouldn't bow. And so Nebuchadnezzar has them brought before him. And he wants to know, is it true that you're not willing to bow to this golden image that I've erected? And do you know what they said? It's true. And you need to understand, Nebuchadnezzar, we will not bow to this golden image. And they said, if, if it's the case, our God, whom we trust, He can deliver us. But if not, so be it. There's another great man that I think about. A young man by the name of Daniel who later in life as an older man. You remember in Daniel chapter 1, Daniel had been deported along with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Daniel was probably 17 years of age. He had purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with as the Bible says, the king's delicacies. Over in chapter 6, a new administration, a new kingdom had emerged. That kingdom was the Medo-Persian Empire. And there were some people that didn't like Daniel on that occasion. And so, in an effort to undermine Daniel the prophet, in the long ago, they went to the king and requested that he put into, into law an edict that no one could petition any god or man for 30 days with the exception of King Darius. Now, in verse 4, there's an interesting statement in chapter 6 that I want you to see for just a moment. The text says that the governors and satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find no fault or no charge because he was faithful, nor was there any error or fault found in him. Now look at verse 5, a very important verse. Then these men said, We shall not find any charge against this Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. How would they bring Daniel down? How would they destroy him? Come between him and his God. That's what they thought. They knew that Daniel was faithful to God. And I believe they understood, they knew that when they put this edict into place, that Daniel wouldn't change his manner of living. And verse 10 tells us that once this law was enacted, here's what is recorded, verse 10, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home. And in his upper room with the windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God. Now listen to what is said. As was his custom since early days. I don't know what's coming for those of us who live in this country who claim to be followers of Christ. I don't know what kind of difficulties we may face. 
But I know this. We need the faith of Daniel. Daniel, as you well know, was thrown into that lion's den. And God was with him on that occasion. But Daniel didn't recant his faith in God. He didn't compromise his faith in God. He didn't make concessions to to the law that had been enacted. And neither can we. We've got to stand firm for our belief in the Lord. So these are just some of the prophets that have suffered for the name of Christ. In the New Testament, I think about Stephen who was stoned to death. In Acts chapter 7, the very first Christian spoken of as being martyred for the cause of Christ. In Acts chapter 8, the Bible says that a great persecution arose against the church And the Bible says they were all scattered abroad with the exception of the apostles. Persecution. The Bible tells us that Saul of Tarsus made havoc of the church, sought to destroy it. And then I think about that persecutor who later became the persecuted. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul himself would say, he would talk about the persecutions and afflictions that he faced at Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. He said, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. And then he said, all who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. In other words, if you live a godly life in Christ Jesus, you can expect to suffer. That's what he was saying. In chapter 4, Paul knew that death was imminent. Why? Because of his faith in Christ. Nero Caesar was said to have beheaded the apostle Paul. And yet Paul would say, I fought the good fight, I finished the course, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is later for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give to me at that day. So Paul understood that death may come, but he wouldn't back up. And I think about the words of Jesus when we talk about suffering and the difficulties that we face. Jesus said, For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let me tell you what. If you suffer for the name of Christ, you're in good company. You're in great company. Thirdly, what about the reward for those who are persecuted? Is there something that we have to look forward to? I think so. Look again at verse 12. Listen to what Jesus said. Well, look at verse 11 again. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you, say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. Number one, we have hope, don't we? Do you remember what Jesus said in Matthew 10, 28? Fear not him that's able to destroy the body, but afterward cannot kill the soul. But he said, rather fear him who's able to destroy both soul and body in hell, that is in Gehenna, in the hell of fire. Jesus is saying, look, it may be the case that you lose your life for my cause. But you need to understand, just because they destroy your physical body, they did not destroy that soul that has been placed in you by God in heaven. In Revelation chapter 6, we read about the saints who were who had been martyred for the cause of Christ. As a matter of fact, the whole book of Revelation is written on the backdrop of Roman persecution. The thrust of that message was to hold on, to be faithful 
Why? Because as the people of God, we will be victorious. There's hope. And so amidst the Roman persecution in the first century, the latter part of the first century, Domitian wanted to be addressed as Lord and God. He really thought he was something. Where's Domitian today? He's in eternity. And he'll stand before God. The Roman Empire, they thought they were something. But the Word of God prevailed, didn't it? And those who belong to the body of Christ, they stood victorious. I think about people that were being persecuted, those that were losing their lives for the cause of Christ. And here was John in that revelation, and he could say, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord, yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, and their works do follow them. We have hope. And secondly, we have heaven. Listen again to what Jesus said. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. Think about that. Heaven is not just this pie in the sky, pie in the sky hope that we have it's real it's genuine heaven is just as real as the world in which we live or inhabit do you remember what Jesus said in John chapter 14 let not your heart be troubled you believe in God believe also in me and think about the fact that Jesus spoke these words in the shadow of the cross the disciples would later flee Peter would forsake him, curse and deny him. And so here's Jesus and he said, look, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. Do you believe in heaven? Really, do you believe in heaven? Do you want to go to heaven? Did you know that if you suffer for the sake of righteousness... And ultimately, if you lose your life, you got something better waiting on you on the other side. It's called heaven. I don't know any of us that are looking to take the next train out. But I do know this, to know that if we suffer, we're in good company. And we have hope and we have heaven. And the Bible says that that hope is described as incorruptible, it's undefiled, it fades not away, and as Peter said, it's reserved in heaven for you. Every faithful child of God has a reservation in heaven. So, are you ready to suffer? I listened this past week to some of the rhetoric about what had happened in Oregon, and it was tragic. It is tragic. And I suspect that we'll see more of the same. One of the things that has been bandied about by those in political arenas has to do with tighter gun control laws. Let me tell you what. I am not a gun control expert. I don't own a lot of guns. But I know this. Guns don't kill people. People kill people. You understand what I'm saying? It's not the gun. It's the person holding the gun. The reason people are being killed is because there is a character problem, a character flaw. And we wonder why we're being persecuted in this country. We talk about Christians being persecuted. Well, those on the left have 
waged a war in this country against God and Christ and the Bible. And they have done everything within their power to destroy what we call right. And so as a result of that, it doesn't surprise me that we're public enemy number one. But we need to stand up for what we believe in. And we need to understand that the only thing that's going to change this country is the gospel of Christ. And so what do we do? We keep preaching and we keep teaching. You want to change people, it's not about gun laws, it's not about more social programs, it's not about more prisons, it's about taking the gospel to the world and changing the hearts and lives of people. You change people, you'll change the landscape of our country. Solomon said, righteousness exalteth the nation, but sin is a reproach unto any people. We're having trouble in this country because of one three-letter word called sin. That's it. But I've got good news. The remedy for sin is the blood of Jesus. The Bible says that Jesus shed his blood for us unto him who loved us and washed us from our sins by his own blood. Revelation 1.5. Do you believe Jesus to be the Son of God? Would you do what they did on Pentecost Day? Repent of your sins, be baptized into Christ so that every sin can be washed away, so that every sin can be forgiven, Acts 2.38. If you'll do that, God will put you in His body, Acts 2.47. And the promise is if you'll be faithful till death, God will bestow on you the crown of life. And there's not anybody can take that from you. If you're here tonight and you're not faithful, could I encourage you to come back? Could we pray with you and for you, knowing that God will abundantly pardon? First John 1 John 1.9. Would you come as we stand and sing?